Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys within wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s. And Erica went through a sustained 50-pound weight loss and self-love journey. We created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness and empower you to feel your absolute best. And because we want to bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. On this episode of the podcast, we have a fun and informative conversation with Dr. Blake Schusterman, also known as the Cooking Doc, a leading nephrologist and exclusive ambassador of the American Kidney Fund, the nation's leading kidney health-focused organization. He is also an author of the cookbook, The Cooking Doc's Kidney Healthy Cooking, a modern 10-step guide to preventing and managing kidney disease. He also shares his delicious recipes and easy to follow tutorials on his popular YouTube channel, which you can find in our show notes. Dr. Blake supports his patients and audience with a roadmap to delicious nutrition-based disease prevention. With recipes that are creative and anything but restrictive, Dr. Blake shares his love for food through inspired cooking tutorials, tips, and tricks as the secret to unlocking a healthy and long life. We have a wonderful conversation on kidney disease prevention, health and wellness, cooking, and our love of food. Enjoy the episode. This episode is brought to you by our health coaching subscription service on Patreon. The Courageous Wellness Collective has expanded on Patreon to bring our listeners and clients an all-access, accessible platform to educate, inform, and create nutrition and lifestyle habits to meet your personal goals. For $8.99 a month, patrons will receive weekly video content on topics ranging from blood sugar stabilization, gut health, hormone balance, energy, sleep, skin health, how to shop the grocery store, pantry staples, and much more. Included, you'll also receive access to monthly virtual webinars, recipes, and special guest content too. With this subscription, you are guaranteed at least four pieces of fresh health coaching content each month. To learn more and become a patron, visit www.patreon.com slash courageous wellness, or check out our show notes. We look forward to welcoming you to our coaching community. We have an exciting new discount for our listeners with Four Sigmatic. 
Four Sigmatic offers superfood coffee and elixirs to upgrade your daily routine. The powerful antioxidants, antiviral effects, and immune-boosting properties of mushrooms transform your cup of joe from an energy-boosting treat to a health-enhancing choice. Along with mushroom coffee, Four Sigmatic also offers mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cocos, and other shroom-filled products. Erica uses the lion's mane in her morning superfood coffee, and even though I hate mushrooms, I absolutely love the products, especially the matcha latte powder, which contains myataki mushrooms and adaptogens. For 10% off Four Sigmatic products, visit foursigmatic.com and use the code COURAGEOUS at checkout, and there's also a direct link in our show notes. Well, thank you, Dr. Blake. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. To get us started, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your personal background and and how you became a nephrologist? Uh, Yeah, sure. So, you know, first, a nephrologist is a kidney doctor for everybody who doesn't know what that is, because there there are not a lot of us out there. Uh, And um, wondering how I ended up as a nephrologist is a great question, because it takes a very kind of special person to end up in nephrology. You know, um, when you go through medical school and when you go through residency, you kind of have a a trial period where you get to try all the different specialties out. So uh, in medical school, one day you do pediatrics and one day you do OBGYN and and one day or or one month you do surgery. Uh, And so basically my first um, decision tree was based on the things that I don't like. So we cut out some things very quickly. I learned very quickly. I didn't want to deliver babies. The operating room was not for me. It was just too sterile of an environment. You know, I was always accidentally breaking the sterile field or or doing something that I shouldn't have. So I kind of ruled that out quickly. And I realized I didn't want to do pediatrics uh, because I love kids, but um, kids' parents are are really tough to um, deal with if you're not... um, just the perfect uh, temperament. So uh, that kind of led me to internal medicine initially. And internal medicine is kind of a broad field that covers a lot of the organs in the body and the disease systems from the heart to the lungs, uh, to the kidneys. And so after medical school, you go into your residency and I chose the internal medicine residency program, which is just kind of generic medicine covering all these fields. And again, it's kind of a process of elimination until I found out what I liked. And a lot of that was um, brought on by a a mentor. I find that so many things in in my life have kind of been led by finding somebody to uh, who inspires me, who kind of really gets me uh, to where I need to be. And, And this was a nephrologist by the name of Mitch Rosner. And he kind of just took me under his wing in some ways and say, you know, I think you'd be good at this and it'd uh, be a good field for you. And here's what it means. And, and he was right. And so I got into that and I, I really enjoyed it, you know, and the kidneys are a very kind of interesting and complicated organ. So finding somebody who wants to go into that field is not always that easy. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I want to go into um, the kidneys and why we should all 
care about our kidneys and how to care for our kidneys because I find that so interesting and you don't hear a lot about kidneys actually. So I'm excited to talk about that. But before we do that, I'm curious, were you always interested in medicine? Like was being a doctor something you always knew you wanted to do or did that kind of just serendipitously happen? Part of it I think happened towards the end of my high school years and then kind of early into college. I didn't grow up like, uh, you know, as a young person, really knowing that I wanted to be a doctor. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, And I had a younger brother, actually, who was diagnosed with diabetes, type 1 diabetes, when he was about three. And I was was 12 years older than him, so I was 15. And so I kind of got a little bit interested in medicine and the, the body and healing at that point. And then when I got into college, so I, I, so I kind of had an idea and I started taking the pre-med classes, but I'm a very practical person underneath. And so I, I kind of, I know what I'm good at. So I know that I'm good at science. Um, I'm, I'm good at math and I know I'm very, uh, I can be a personable person. So I have some empathy so I, I can, talk to somebody and understand the way they're feeling. And it just kind of made sense to kind of follow where my strengths lie based on kind of my practical personality and and led me into medicine that way. Thanks. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I think as you were saying earlier, like having mentors or people to look up to. I think hearing these stories are important because I know that we have some younger listeners too, who are still in their education and to hear how, you know, professionals deep in their fields now, um, started their journeys is I think often a helpful resource for, for that portion of our listeners. Um, so as Erica had mentioned a little earlier, let's talk about the kidneys for a second, if we can. Um, because I, you know, kidneys are very important, but I don't know that they get like the wide scale attention that like other organs of the body get. So if you could, could you just like break down some basic facts about our kidneys, what we should know about them and what they do in our body? Sure. Uh, they are definitely, uh, an underrecognized organ in the, uh, in the universe. I don't know why that is, but the kidneys don't get a lot of love. Um, but they are very important. You know, I, I refer to them as they're the masterminds of the body in a lot of ways. So most people are born with two kidneys. Uh, they're about the size of your fist and they sit uh, under your rib cage, kind of in the in your back. Mm-hmm. And the kidneys have a ton of jobs throughout the body, but kind of break it down into two main jobs. The one is that they get rid of excess fluid. So most of the time, if you drink too much water or too much fluid, your kidneys know exactly how much your body needs and how much they can get rid of uh, in your urine. And so they are very precise at figuring that out and keeping your body in the right state of um, volume. Mm. So that's kind of one of the basic functions of the kidneys. The the other one that they do is they get rid of the waste products in the body. Uh, So everything that you eat gets uh, digested and then there are waste products in the food that you eat. You know, a lot of the food gets used to build muscle cells and uh, support your health, but there are things that the body doesn't need. And so the kidneys 
uh, again, figure out exactly how much of those toxins or waste products that are also kind of formed when uh, old cells in the body die, the kidneys know exactly how to balance those, um, those waste products in the body, getting rid of what the body doesn't need, holding on to what the body needs mm. and kind of keeping the blood in what's called uh, a homeostasis. So keeping everything just perfectly balanced. So the, the kidneys are very important for those things. And even beyond that, they do things like regulate blood pressure. People end up going to a kidney specialist for blood pressure management. Uh, they release a hormone that causes the bones to make red blood cells. So they, they have a lot of different jobs throughout the body. That's interesting. When you're explaining it, it makes me think of like these kidneys having this sort of like intuitive sense about what the body needs at any given time and how to regulate that, you know? Cool. Yeah. Let's give some, let's give the kidneys some love. <laughs> yes. The kidneys need some love. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting. Cause as you were speaking, I was thinking the only time, right. It's not that we don't hear about the kidneys. It seems like we hear about them when something is like very wrong, right? Like when someone needs a kidney transplant or someone has a disease that's destroying their kidneys. Right. So it's just interesting. Cause as you said that I was like, no, I just don't hear about like supportive kidney health and prevention, which is so much what you do. And you have this beautiful, incredible cookbook as well. The cooking docs, kidney, healthy cooking <laughs> um, book. And it's so beautiful. And there's so many yummy recipes. And before we get into it, and I'd love to know the inception of starting a book to support us is there a way, right? Because we hear so much, right? About eating for chronic illness or certain foods or paleo, keto, et cetera. Like there's all these buzzy diets to support different parts of our body or ailments that we want to prevent. How do we eat to support our kidneys? Is there a right way and a wrong way to do it? Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting because when I was writing the book, you know, this is, I'm a kidney doctor and we're focusing on the kidneys here, but you want a diet that, you know, I, I tell people, do you want the diet for your heart or the diet for your kidneys, right? Which organ are you going to choose to uh, make a diet to support? So it's a kind of a funny question. And so the thing about eating for the kidneys is that the foods that are beneficial to the kidneys and kind of the pattern of eating that will support your kidney health, are things that will support all the other organs in your body as well. So, you know, there's nothing magical about a, a kidney healthy diet. It's things that are, you know, fruits and vegetables. It's focused on if you have diabetes, eating in a way to maintain lower blood sugar control. You know, it's focusing on things like um, vegetable proteins uh, and maybe lower uh, red meat. Um, and it's, it's the same type of things that are involved in things called like the DASH diet or the Mediterranean diet, or even some of these other diets that are coming out to support brain health and mm -hmm. uh, anti-inflammatory diets. Um, they all kind of revolve around similar foods. Uh, so the, what's good for the kidneys is, is good for the rest of the body too. I think you make an important point there because similarly, to how we've set up Western medicine and even how we like jokingly are, you know, identifying the kidneys right now, but, um, we have this tendency to compartmentalize the body 
And I think what you're saying through this sort of like food lens is that when we make healthy choices, our body is like a cohesive system. And yes, we have these different organs that do different functions. And sometimes people struggle with, you know, certain ailments in different parts of the body, but that it's all connected. And, and a diet that might be kidney healthy is also going to be heart healthy. It's also going to like perhaps regulate blood sugar in a certain way. And it's, you know, I've been doing some work and doing advanced study in hormone health right now. And like so much of it comes down to regulating our blood sugar, like, and, and not, and achieving some blood sugar balance through our meals, which can then also help hormone balance. Um, but that it's all connected in the body. And, um, and so I think that's an important point and I'm glad you bring that, uh, to everybody's attention sort of off the bat is that like, if you're going to be eating in this way, it's not going to just support your kidneys, but it's going to support so many functions in the body as well. So, um, anyway, thank you for that. That's, that's really, I, I mean, I love the way you said the, uh, we tend to compartment compartmentalize different things like that because we absolutely do. Uh, and even in, you know, you talk about Western medicine, you know, me as a kidney doctor, you know, I, it's really hard for um, patients to see a kidney doctor, a heart doctor, a diabetes doctor, a general medicine doctor. And, you know, everybody just wants to kind of uh, focus on their own specific specialty and not take a step back and look at the, the person as a whole and all their medicines and all their problems. Uh, and some of that is, is because it's really complicated, but oftentimes it's just exactly what you said. Mm. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's the way we've been, I think it's the way the system is structured. So it's the way people often tend to think about their body. But now with, I, I think, I mean, this is my personal opinion, but Eric and I often talk a lot to different practitioners. And I think even with the onset of like functional medicine becoming more mainstream than it used to be, there's an idea, even with all, you know, like Western medicine doctors, that there's sort of more of an integrative point of view um, with things like lifestyle. And um, and you, you do that. And so tell us a little bit about the cooking doc. How did you become the cooking doc? So, you know, there are a couple different stories kind of as the, the inception of the cooking doc. Uh, I tell the, the first one is the one that I tell kind of at the beginning of the book. And so, you know, my first day in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, I rounded at a dialysis center. And a dialysis center is where people go who have kidney failure. Their kidneys are not working anymore. So they go to a center where they have basically this life-sustaining treatment three times a week where a machine cleans out their blood because their kidneys can't do it. And so as I'm touring the dialysis center, I noticed that in the uh, lobby are vending machines. So a soda machine on one side and a snack machine on the other side. And you know, M&M's, Snickers, Coke, Pepsi, potato chips, Cheetos, all that stuff kind of right there um, in the lobby. And then in the inside is people going through this life-sustaining treatment and doctors and dietitians walking from person to person saying, eat a low sodium diet, eat, don't, don't eat high sugar foods to make your diabetes out of control. And yet we were setting this terrible example right in the lobby 
by having um, these vending machines there. And so that kind of from day one just kind of struck me as, you know, oh my God, what are we doing? Um, but, you know, as a new doctor just coming out, you, you, can't, you can't change things right away. And so kind of settling into um, medicine, I, I just noticed a, a pattern along the way where people didn't know exactly uh, what they needed to eat to protect their health. They didn't know um, that food could actually make a, a tremendous, tremendous difference in their kidney disease. And they didn't know how to make healthy food taste good, especially kind of here in the South. And so, you know, I, I would tell them at the end of the appointment, maybe eat a low sodium diet or eat less sugar, and then they would leave. And I would realize that that was a totally ineffective strategy. Uh, and I'm sure most people who have been to the doctor before have had that same, like just generic advice that really doesn't help anybody. And so I, I wanted to create uh, an avenue for people to have that information at their uh, fingertips through the book and through recipes on a website where they can, they can see it and get it when they need it and um, just have a, 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 a fun relationship with healthy food. Yeah, I think um, you bring up a really good point, which is oftentimes, especially in like, I don't know that doctors are necessarily set up with much support in this, where it's like, you guys have a certain amount of time with a, with a patient and you know, even from a lifestyle perspective, you say like, okay, you need a lower sodium diet or whatever that patient might need. But that it's ineffective if people can't, A, don't know really what that means from their own lifestyle, like within their context of their own life. And then also the part that Erica and I deal with a lot is with clients, because we both are, in addition to being podcast hosts, we also um, do health, nutrition health coaching now. And I know a lot of doctors are using health coaches too, because it's hard then once even people understand, it's hard to make a shift in what that, like what has to change in behavior and shopping and like preparing. And it's just a lot of change, which is difficult for any human. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So I was just going to say that, like the fact that you created a resource to make that more practical for, you know, your patients and anybody who might be in need of that too is, is cool. Yeah. And something I love, I mean, the recipes, we can't wait to make them. Like they look so delicious. I wish we weren't um, still virtual because Allie's a really great chef. So I was like, I wish Allie could whip them all up for me, but I will try myself at home. Um, but I'm not the best cook, but yeah, she's okay. Easy, right? No, but I, I try, I try and, a, and recipes and a cookbook inspire me and help me if I have something to follow. But I was going to say that when I was researching you and from talking to you, um, prior to the interview, I, I love that you have such a love for food and that you also acknowledge that part of food, because I think sometimes when it comes to making dietary changes for health or wanting to live longer, support your kidneys, whatever it may be, it's like, it just seems so much that there's a disconnect between like the joy and love of food and eating just to be, because I love to eat and like Ali and I love to eat. We love food. We don't miss a meal. And, um, 
there's such an emotional component to food too. And culturally, right? Like so many different cultures have like ties to certain food that might not be right. Like the quote healthiest. And so I just love that that's part of your background and that you are also a lover and appreciator of food too, so that you could create such a delicious cookbook and resource for all of us. Um, yes. Thank you. And, and I would tell you, I, I totally agree. You know, the, um, the whole point of food for me, you know, you can think about the food just as nutrition, but just the, I, the, the flavors and the tastes and the whole experience of being with family and, uh, you know, travel, my travel is all revolved around food. And what am I going to eat when I go to Italy, you know, and my memories are all tied up in the food that I ate when I went there because of the, the whole experience and the flavors. And, you know, I, when I was an undergraduate, I actually have a background, uh, my, my undergraduate degree is in anthropology. Hmm. And so I think that really kind of, uh, I've always had a love for other cultures and the importance of ritual uh, and how much it means to um, different cultures. And so I think my background in anthropology also kind of helped me understand how important food is to, to families and to ritual. And, and I wanted to incorporate that into the book. Yeah. Sometimes that's something that can be um, like, like as Erica said, disconnected or missed. And it's like just because sometimes we have to or want to transform um, the way we may eat, it doesn't mean it has to be boring. It doesn't mean it has to be um, like flavorless or miserable or that the joy, because, you know, she's the queen of saying joy is a nutrient. And Love that's, that. you know, that's what we're passionate about too. Like, food positive. Like we can be food positive and support our health where I think a lot of, uh, people, even if like, I don't know, I've gone to the doctor before dealing with different things, you know, I, whatever, I'll share this. We share so much on the podcast. I'm like, I've shared every health issue on the podcast, but I was dealing with like strange bladder pressure after a UTI that and I hadn't I hadn't gotten one in like 10 years and it hadn't gone away and but like all of my tests were totally normal like nothing was working and then I, like I get a handout it's like maybe you want to try cutting all of these things and it's like yeah I've done all of that already or you know either you know and you try or it's like here, it could, you know, like, it's like one day someone's like, oh, take cranberry. And the next day is like, cranberry could really be exacerbating it. And you literally just get like a sheet of 45 things that like could potentially be causing a symptom. And then it's just like, go. And I'm a health coach. I like, you know, I have a certification in nutrition and it's like, even me, I'm like, well, this is not helpful, you know? So the idea of really understanding and spending time preparing food and understanding food in a way is the way in which we can like, I think, ultimately support our own health and knowing yeah. that food can, yeah, like if you, I always say there's like foods and there's non-foods and it's not about like foods being bad or good, but it's that those vending machines were full of non-foods mm -hmm. that really don't have any benefit and in fact, oftentimes have like serious health detriment, but at the same time, food can be so powerful in our health journey. And that's what I love that you do is like, Hey, here are things to help support you. Like use this food.
This episode is sponsored by Milk and Honey. Guys, I am so excited to share our new sponsor, Milk and Honey, with you because I have been using their baking soda-free deodorant exclusively for over two years. This gentle, aluminum-free, baking soda-free deodorant was designed to nourish sensitive skin while keeping you feeling and smelling fresh all day long. When I decided that I wanted to make the switch to a clean aluminum-free deodorant, I tried so many different brands, and each and every time I was plagued with those red itchy bumps under my arm on top of not feeling confident whatsoever that I did not smell. Milk and Honey not only never once gave me those pesky little red bumps, but also passed the smell test even after some of LA's toughest workout classes. This is my ride or die deodorant, and we are so excited to partner with them. Milk and Honey is a line of non-toxic, effective, and safe bath, body, and skincare products made in small batches in Austin, Texas. They source ingredients as hyper-clean as possible, which means both choosing organic and making thoughtful, informed choices on safe ingredients. Milk and Honey is a female-founded and funded brand, and in addition to clean deodorant, they also carry non-toxic bath, body, and skincare products like hydration creams, cleansers, soaps, body polish, and lots more that will make you feel nourished inside and out. If you want to try Milk and Honey, you can receive 15% off your order by visiting milkandhoney.com and using the code CWPODCAST, one word, at checkout. You can also find the direct link in our show notes. So how do you bridge the gap between somebody who is struggling? And in my own family, I have, you know, family members who are struggling with obesity and different things, but it's so hard, right? Um, to change your lifestyle. It really is. And, and that's obviously an extreme case, but even just sometimes it's, it's hard on the macro and the micro. So, because we're just inundated, right, with the vending machines and the the noise. So how do you bridge that gap when starting to help people want to make the choice without feeling like they're sacrificing, right, that ritual or their favorite foods or what they're getting? Because that is the thing. Food is is so wonderful and we all have different attachments to it. Yeah, it's a great question and a really uh, difficult thing sometimes. And, and I'll tell you my approach. Um, and, you know, when I look at somebody who has eating habits that um, maybe don't benefit their health in the way that they would like to, usually those habits are things that have built up over the course of years. And we're not talking like three to five years, you know, we're talking 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. And so getting in there and trying to, um, convince them or try to find a way to, for them to make that change where it isn't so disruptive to their life can be difficult. So, and, and to mention, as Ali said before, as a doctor, I don't have a lot of time in the room with a patient, especially dealing with kidney disease and everything else. So my, my focus is I, I try to find one thing um, at a time that is something that is not the most important um, thing to the person that I'm talking to, but something that can make a difference in their health that they can change. So one of those things may be um, soda. So maybe somebody is really having a hard time getting rid of uh, soda. And that's just kind of one habit that they have that is not supporting their health. 
So we, we talk about making one change regarding that uh, habit before I see them next time. So we talk about maybe cutting out uh, one to two sodas a week um, before I see you next month and substituting it with a glass of water or, or finding some healthier drink that they like. And by, by breaking it down into really, um, really specific things that we can cut out one at a time, I find that people often have a lot of success with that. I know that some people like to just jump in and, and kind of change things all at once. And that works for some people, but, but other people, we just have to go slowly. We find something that is not going to totally change their life by giving up, but that may really kind of jumpstart their journey to a healthier diet. So that's kind of the way I approach it. Yeah, I love that. Can you talk to us a little bit about kidney disease? Like what, how, how does it often start and what are things that people need to be aware of? So we talked about the kidneys not getting any love and uh, kidney disease doesn't get any love either. But um, the recent studies show that one in three Americans are at risk for developing kidney disease and 37 million Americans and 850 million people worldwide have some form of kidney disease. So there are a lot of people that have it and it definitely doesn't get the attention that it deserves. But when you, when you look at kidney disease, the number one cause of kidney disease in the United States is diabetes. The second uh, cause that's listed is high blood pressure. So when I'm talking to somebody about whether or not they're at risk for kidney disease or, or people are wondering if they're at risk for kidney disease, those are things that we start with. So people who have diabetes, people who have high blood pressure. And the thing about kidney disease is that the damage can happen without you having any idea that you're having kidney damage because the way it's diagnosed is through uh, a blood test and a urine test. So people can develop early stages, even moderate stages of kidney disease without any signs or symptoms. Um, and so I often see people who, who don't show up until they are uh, really advanced in their kidney disease. So, uh, that's why one of the things we stress is having a regular blood tests and urine tests, especially if you're in a high risk category to make sure that you're not developing kidney disease so you can catch it early so you can make the changes needed to prevent that kidney disease from getting worse. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I was like, I don't really even know how people develop it, but it it sounds like if diabetes and high blood pressure are at risk, you know, again, our body being one, one whole body with connected systems, it makes sense. And we know that like why now food is such an important component of that overall health. Is there anything that you have seen in your time of practice? Um, obviously you created the cooking doc, the book, the content you're on YouTube, all all the resources that you've created has come out of your own experience, but has there been anything um, that you've seen or noticed uh, as far as like a shift in a good direction or a bad over the time that you've practiced as far as um, people, do people understand it in a different way? Do they, um, you know, I, I guess my... I'm just sort of like wondering, has it gotten 
worse with chronic like lifestyle illnesses or is it get are people becoming more aware of the lifestyle component? So, you know, if you look at the if you look at the data for obesity, um, which is a risk factor for all of these things, diabetes, high blood pressure, kidney disease, the the data doesn't show necessarily that things are getting better if you look at it from that way. But, you know, from a um, cultural perspective and from what I see with my patients and in the area where I live, I think there is a shift and a change towards the positive. One of the ways I kind of gauge things is uh, if I want to go out to eat, uh, can I go out and not have to order uh, shrimp and grits or steak if I want to get something that tastes good? Because if you, if you 10 years ago, when I moved to Greenville, South Carolina, if I wanted to get a healthier option, when I went out to eat, it was always just either a salad with like grilled chicken or something just so boring. Um, but there's been, but now we see uh, plant-based restaurants and chefs at the fancier restaurants, putting more thought into healthier options for people. And so I think the shift is there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the hard part though, is that there are, uh, such a large portion of the population that that doesn't have the access um, either from family support or money or transportation or housing to make the shift along with the kind of more affluent parts of society. And I, so so I think until we can get that part of society um, where they can meet their needs and then some, I think we're, we're going to still run into trouble with uh, lifestyle problems in the country. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. We talk a lot about that and the, just like the lack of accessibility for um, for food, for wellness on the whole. I think the industry, um, like not, I mean, medical industry aside, like the wellness space has been very inaccessible. Um, Eric and I are trying to do our best to help change that a little bit, but um it's hard. It's really, it's really a beast. And, and also, yeah, I mean, we, we do a lot of work with like the West side food bank here in Los Angeles and food insecurity more than ever is like such a massive issue. Um, yeah, a massive issue with COVID, but it was a massive issue before COVID and it's just becoming a larger disparity. And it's like, you can't think about things like choice when you don't have choices, when there's only like a little, you know, there's not even like full grocery stores in any sort of like area, you know, food deserts we talk about. And there's even the deeper conversation of food apartheid. I've heard of it, you know, classified in that way as well. Um, so it's like, yeah, as much as we can do it on a, an individual level, which is like try to help individuals change in their life, but it's like, how do we how do we broach that from a societal standpoint when people don't have basic food needs met? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like the bigger question for all of us <laughs> to ponder. Um, but, but I yeah. think, you know, and of course, like this is because I do want to talk about cooking. Um, but as and of course, like even having the choice to cook and the time to cook. And like we talked about being able to go to the grocery store is such um, a privilege that so many people don't realize is a privilege, but it truly is. But um, cooking can be very empowering. And I think um, a lot of people can choose to cook. 
um, if they want to, to support their health. And actually it is a great way to save money as well by cooking at home. And as I mentioned earlier, I, the pandemic actually forced me to become a better cook because I, like I mentioned, I, I I'm home, um, all the time. And so, um, can you talk about your love of cooking and, you know, also in this beautiful cookbook you have, do you have any favorite recipes that you want to share, um, with us that we should maybe start with, or, um, anyone listening when they buy your book, uh, they should start with too. Sure. Um, you know, I think a lot of my love of cooking really stems from my love of eating good food. Uh, if I have control over what I'm making and I, I really want good food, but I don't want to go out and get it, I had to learn how to cook it at home and make it at home. So the fact that I love to eat good food and the fact that my family loves to eat good food and the fact that I was raised in a family that, um, you know, prioritized home cooking as much as they could really got me started down the uh, cooking path. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's something that I just, I use almost as stress relief sometimes. I come home from work and um, we'll, we'll put on some music and just start chopping vegetables and getting, getting going in the kitchen. And uh, kind of a nice way sometimes for me to relax after a, a day uh, with the prize of delicious food at the end of it. So, uh, you know, I, I just really love getting in the kitchen and learning new things, um, learning to cook different types of food. It's, um, it's been a lot of fun. And the, um, but, but to, to get to the book, sorry there. Uh, so to talk about the book for a second, um, I, I have, you know, picking the favorite uh, recipes is, uh, you know, it's, it's harder than picking my, my favorite child, honestly. <laughs> Um, now, now I only have one child, so, uh, that's, that, that's, I'll say that, but you know, some of the recipes in there, um, I love, there is a zucchini boat that is in there. So it's, it's a hollowed out zucchini with a little bit of, uh, sauteed vegetables, some breadcrumbs and some cheese, and that's baked in the oven. And it's hard to do it justice by talking about it, but, um, if you are in the late summer and you've got a lot of extra zucchini, putting that together as a, a really fun and delicious side dish is awesome. So I love that one. I love, um, there's a, a family recipe in there that I tweaked a little bit and it's a, a sheet pan, lemon lime chicken with potatoes in there. And what I love so much about that recipe is that it really gets to the heart of flavoring food without using a lot of extra salt or fat. So the lemon and the lime and the herbs and the spices really just give this delicious flavor when you uh, bake the chicken. And I know sheet pan cooking is all the rage. And so this is a really easy thing to do for a family night of dinner. And those are, those are two that come to mind, but they're, I, I worked with a professional chef uh, to help me really test the recipes to make sure they would turn out uh, as good as I wanted them. So I'm really happy with most of the recipes in there. Yeah. There's a lot of great resources in there. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what your vision for like the future of the cooking doc is? Do you have any, you know, you've released this book, you have a lot of resources online. Um, 
But obviously the work you're doing is really important. And do you have any sort of like a bigger vision for what you want with it? So, you know, when I started this about five or six years ago, I had a dream of becoming basically the, a food network TV star as the cooking doc, as a healthy cooking uh, kind of alternative to the other things that you will see on the, the food network. Um, but in case you don't know, it's really hard to break into TV like that. <laughs> um, so I, I've kind of tampered down my goals a little bit as far as that. But my, my goal is to just continue to produce um, content and recipes and engagement with the community to really um, build on what I have uh, created so far with the goal of just spreading the word that what you eat and, and cooking at home and making healthy food taste good uh, and developing a lifestyle uh, in that manner can really make a huge difference in your health, your kidney health, your heart health, and exploring all kinds of ways that I can get that out there. So whether or not that's more um, videos or another book, or you know, I've worked with the med students a little bit at the hospital to encourage them to do um, healthy cooking in their lifestyle classes. So I, I just kind of keeping, I wanna keep going along the same lines and just continue to try to reach more people uh, with this idea. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing all this incredible information with us on the podcast today. And yeah, we are huge fans of your content and it's so, it's very empowering. It's very food positive and it allows, I feel like the masses in such an accessible way nourish themselves. And so we love that. So as we begin to wrap up, we always ask three wrap-up questions. So we're excited to hear your answers for these. So the first is, obviously, you have a lot going on <laughs> in your life. So how do you take care of yourself? What are some of your self-care non-negotiables? The thing that I cannot live without is my running. Um, uh, running, you know, I started running in my mid thirties, um, actually because I've failed at trying to play golf. Um, uh, and I, and I found that running is just my key to clearing my head, um, allowing me to not think about anything else and have just, uh, some time all to myself. So when the weather is okay, I will go outside and I will just run and run. Thank you. All right. The second question is, what does being courageous mean to you? So courageous to me means having the um, ability and the wherewithal to speak up or to do something in the face of uh, consequences, either um, you know, personal consequences or consequences for uh, people that you love, being able or people or something regarding your work, being able to put that all aside and speak up to whether it's to somebody who's in power or to champion an idea that's not getting uh, a lot of love, 
knowing that there will be consequences and being willing to do it despite the consequences that you know you will face. Thank you so much. That was so beautiful. Um, so our last question is, do you have any books that have been particularly inspiring to you um, along your journey? Um, it can be on any topic, work of fiction, something in health, literally any book. So I, I give you, I'll, give, I'll do two books. Um, <laughs> the first is, uh, we'll, we'll do a cookbook since I wrote a cookbook, but, uh, there's a cookbook called Zahav, which is, um, Mediterranean cooking, um, uh, by a chef, Mike Salmanov, who has a restaurant in Philadelphia and, and, and the food and the pictures and the ideal, uh, kind of Mediterranean, uh, lifestyle, uh, that he portrays in that book is exactly the way I would love to cook and eat. So that's one book. Um, the other one is um, The Miracle of Mindfulness by Thich Nhat Hanh. Mm. Uh, and that's kind of a book that I picked up in, uh, in college with a, a meditation class. And I still keep it in my bedside and, uh, and refer to it every now and again. But it helps me uh, focus on mindfulness because there are many times in my life where I'm not mindful and I always kind of revert back to the same passage. I re read the same passage over and over again, but it's, it's about um, washing the dishes just to wash the dishes um, and not doing anything else during that time. And um, I often need to remind myself about the importance of mindfulness because I'm often going uh, 10 different directions at the same time. So that's one that's kind of been a timeless book that I, that I keep with me to refer to. Thank you for those recommendations. And so just to wrap up, can you tell us and all of our listeners where um, they can find you online if they want to follow the cooking doc, if they want to buy your book or just see the work that you do, where can they find you? Sure. So uh, I'm everywhere. Uh, if you want to go to my website, it's thecookingdoc.co. There's no M, so thecookingdoc.co. And I have a lot of content on there and links uh, where you can download my new cookbook, uh, the e-copy, or you can buy my new cookbook on Amazon if you're looking for the paperback with its beautiful pictures. Uh, but I'm also, I, I have a YouTube channel, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Basically, if you look up the cooking doc, you can find me on any of those platforms. Great, thank you so much again for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun and, and I, I really appreciate the ability to talk about these things. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.